Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Man, what a jam-packed day. It's exciting. Grab your Bibles. I just had you sit down. Um, stand back up. We're going to read the Bible together. Stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's go. It's like, man, did I come to a Catholic church today? We're up and down. It's all right. It's all right. I like how they do it. So, man, we're in Ephesians. We got to get going. We got to get going. Let's, let's do this. Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, a haymaker of a passage today. An absolute haymaker. Here we go. Verse 1 through 10. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. You guys can grab a seat. So by way of review, we started out in our series in Ephesians, and it was Jesus actually in Matthew that said he was going to build his church. And when God says he's going to do something you can be rest assured it's going to get done. And I believe that Ephesians gives, Ephesians gives us the clearest picture of what the church is to look like and what it's supposed to do. Capital C Church, but even little C Church, Hill City. And when I say church, I'm talking about this, we, we talked about this, this is review, this holy organic building that God is building through Jesus Christ. He is sealing it with his Holy Spirit. You got to remember that we talked, there's just a lot of construction language throughout this book of Ephesians because it's a building. God is building his church. In week two of Ephesians, we saw this treasure chest of blessings that we have today. It's not something that we're going to get later. It's something that we have today. These were these identity statements. We saw that God chose us, that God has this plan for us, that we are adopted, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we have an inheritance, and that we have every single thing that we need in life when we have Jesus Christ. We are being built in Jesus Christ we were all marked out for this, and specifically, think corporately. Yes, we were redeemed and forgiven, 
And we have an inheritance individually, but it's bigger than that. It's a corporate thing. It's a body. It's his church. And then in week three, we saw prayer that Paul prayed for for the people of Ephesus and for, for the people of God. That's not just that they would know in their hearts who they were. So this, this big treasure chest of your identity, then Paul prays, I hope they know it. I want the eyes of their heart to be enlightened. And we've got to see this. We have purpose. We have worth. We have power, church. Yes, we have worth individually. Yes, we have purpose individually. Yes, we have a power that we can tap into individually, but it's bigger than that. What are we doing, church? And we were challenged in our prayer life. I hope your prayer life changed this week. As we were challenged by Stephen Ray, just go to what Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus and let's just pray that for one another. What a blessing this week was. I want you to know that I prayed that over Hill City. I prayed that over my wife. I prayed it over my kids. I hope that you joined in that. And we ended last week knowing that all this was possible. All this was possible because... Everything that we celebrated here in our worship already today was because Jesus rose from the dead. And he didn't just raise from the dead, he is seated on his throne right now. So we have this resurrection and this exaltation of Christ, which makes it possible. God is this master architect. He's a master builder. And he's building a sacred building. And then we get into Ephesians chapter 2. How is he building this building? Ephesians chapter 2. So I want to jump in, but before I do, I've got to say this. Shame is not welcome here today. We are going to look at a passage. We are going to dive into this passage, and specifically the first three verses. It's going to be tough, but... I'm not going to stand for shame in this place. I don't think Paul would have stood for it. That's not his purpose here. This is a very celebratory passage. Do not be fooled. And what verse 1 through 3 specifically sets us up for is a deeper unity. Why? Because verse 1 through 3 is all of our stories. It sets us up not just for a deeper unity, it also sets us up to be people who will now walk in humility because we know where we came from. So this is not a finger-pointing shame session. This is who we were before we met Jesus. This is the human condition, and no one is exempt from this. We have our kids in here today, kindergarten through sixth grade. I'm going to say some hard things, but, but listen to me. No one is exempt from this human condition, including you all, kids. What is the human condition? Let me sum it up with two words, and then we'll dive into our passage. Here is the human condition apart from Jesus. Dead slaves. That's it. If you follow Jesus, this is what you were. If you are not following Jesus, this is who you are. And we must dive in this passage to see this. Dead slaves, verse 1, and you were dead. That doesn't sound very good. 
You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Now this is a very serious problem because the world is full of just walking dead people. That is a reality. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. This is a very, very serious problem. But how is this the human condition? Well, we must go to the origins. In Genesis chapter 2. I'll just read it to you, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely... When God says something, it is so. Remember the theme of the Bible? Okay. They ate of the tree, and they died. Now listen, immediately did they die a physical death? No, it was a spiritual death. It was separation from God. But then eventually did they die a physical death? Yes. Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 6 when he says the wages of sin is death. So out of the gate we must understand we were not simply sick people in need of medicine. We were not simply broken people in need of repair. We were not simply weak people in need of some strength. We were dead people in need of life and a resurrection. That is the human condition. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Evil was not something that we just simply chose. It was who we are to our core. We must understand this is where we came from if we are following Jesus. We were dead. And death is our culture. I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. Well, that's a lot about death, but you said dead slave. I did say dead slave. Stay with me. Let's read this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. What you don't realize there on the surface is all those words, followed, followed, carrying out, that's slave language. You can't see it in English. But this isn't merely like, hey, I follow the chiefs. I'm a big fan of them. I follow everything. No, 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 listen to me. This means you were mastered by, you were controlled by. You are ruled by. So the Bible says that we were ruled by the course of this world. We're mastered. Our master was the prince of the power of the air. Right? That is who we were enslaved to. This was the human condition. We were slaves to the course of this world. We're slaves to the prince of the power of the air. We were slaves to our own flesh. So let's unpack this. What does it mean we are slaves to the course of this world? What is the course of this world? Think of it, it's a way of thinking. It's a value system. It is a culture, and quite specifically, it's a culture of death. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to... Oh, such poetry. Or maybe it might be less poetry than what we think. And it might be super, super real. Say, so Brad, what are you talking about? I'll get to that in a minute. But here's what we must know. A perfect society has never come to fruition on this planet. Do you understand this? 
It's never happened. We've had some awesome ones. We've seen some glimpses, right, of greatness. But eventually, the course of this world will always take over. Every society that's ever existed on the planet goes corrupt because the culture of death is too strong. The course of this world is way too strong. And we are slaves to the course of this world. Secondly, we are slaves to the prince of the power of the air. Kids, let me tell you what that means. That means we were slaves. Before Jesus, we were slaves to Satan. We were slaves to Satan. His influence is not isolated. So what do you mean by that? His influence is pervasive. He's the prince of the power of the air. We breathe in his influence. It's all around us. We can't get away from it. I can't step out of the air over here and step into it over here. It is pervasive. And the prince of the power of the air, his influence is all around us. And we breathe it. We breathe the influence of a liar. The Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He speaks out of his own character, John 8 says. Then 1 John chapter 5 says the whole world is in the power of the evil one. Who's the evil one? It is Satan. We breathe lies. We are inspired by lies. We are inspired to lie. Because it's just pervasive, it's the air around us. The whole world runs on lies. This is not an overstatement. Governments lie to their people. Did you guys know that? (laughs) It's true, that's what I thought. Governments lie, advertisements lie. We lie to one another, and we're super comfortable in a world of fraudulence. It's just pervasive. We can rip social media all we want. All social media did was just capitalize on what was already there in the air. It was ripe for the picking. Social media is just a big, fat lie. And it's because the prince of the power of the air. We are slaves to Satan. He is not a metaphor. Do not minimize who this person is. Satan is real and he hates your guts and he hates my guts. And all he does is lie to you and then he accuses you after he gets you to believe a lie. What a guy. I'm not done looking at this. I want to look at this a little closer. Because this liar, this liar that we're a slave to, he actually sets the course of this world. So we're slaves to the course of this world. We're slaves to Satan. Satan sets the course of this world. So let's just take a look at this on a large scale. And then I want to take a look at it on an even larger scale. Just really quickly because I want to drive it home. Let's just take a look at some data. Some of the leading causes of death in the United States. Are you ready? Just some of them. Heart disease, type 2 diabetes, kidney disease. How is that even possible? Maybe because we're being lied to about what we eat and what we drink and we just breathe it in. Because it's a culture of death. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. 
What's more disturbing is the second leading cause of death among 20 to 24-year-olds. Maybe we're being lied to. And maybe we're believing these lies. And just maybe Solomon was onto something when he said every person does what they think is right in their own eyes. And in the end, the way is, I don't think it's poetry. I mean, pro- yes, Proverbs is poetry, but I don't think we can just look at it like this is some metaphor in the clouds thing. I think maybe the end is actually death. Now let's go larger scale in case you haven't got a grasp on the culture of death. Some of you are going to hate this, and I'm not sorry. The top 10 leading causes of death in the whole world. I'm not going to give you all 10. I'm just going to name a few of them. Heart disease, stroke, cancer, respiratory disease, neonatal deaths, Alzheimer's, diabetes, kidney disease. All those top 10 put together is a cause for 50 million people dying a year in this country or in the world. 50 million people die for the top 10 causes of death in the world. And again, I think we're being lied to. But here's what's most disturbing about that data. 40 to 50 million babies are slaughtered every single year in this country. That's just one cause of death. We are on pace for 48 million babies to die in the world at the hands of their mother. Why? Because we've believed a lie. I'm not going to dwell on this. Because I would just shred this, okay? This is not even up for debate. Among the people of God, this is a culture of death, and a lie has been believed by the father of lies. And we're slaves to it. He's leading the course of this world. He fosters a culture of death. Satan hates your guts. And he wants you to go your own way. He wants you to live your truth. And the end is death. Quite literally, the end is death. And it gets worse. Before it gets better, just hang on. We're slaves to the course of, of this world. We're slaves to the prince of the power of the air, and we're slaves to our own flesh, meaning we carry out, we do slave work, we carry out the desires of our body and our mind. How does this happen? Because the locus of authority is us, and what we think, and what we feel, and what we experience. And really, the final authority ought to be God's word. But the problem is, we think we're the authority, and the end is death. My way is better than God's way. So in what ways? In what ways are we slaves to our flesh? That's weird. What do you mean I'm slave to my own flesh? Well, let me just ask you. Have you seen any self-centered or prideful people lately? Any of those people around? Have you been that person or just me? And listen, all you got to do is go back to, again, go back to the origins. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they thought their way was better than God's way. They bought a lie. They breathed in a lie from the fathers of lies. And they thought their way was better. Listen to me, nothing has changed since Genesis chapter 3. Do not kid yourselves. We were slaves to our flesh. That is the human condition. The human condition is that we were dead slaves. 
apart from Jesus. This is still the condition of a person. Dead people cannot do anything. Do you know this? Dead people can do nothing and slaves must be freed. And this is where we get into the greatest news you're ever going to hear in your life. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I think I'm a dead slave based off of what he's saying. It could be true. I'm about to give you the greatest news you're ever going to hear in your life. Maybe you're following Jesus and you just needed a reminder that you were once a dead slave. And you're like, just give me the greatest news that I've ever believed in my whole life. Here we go. Are you ready? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, because dead people can't do anything, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Church, you got to hear me here. We do not stand a chance apart from God. Fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders, look at me. I need your eyes. You do not stand a chance in this world apart from God and what he gave us in his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. Some of you see God and you think that he's narrow. You think that he's confining. You think that he's mean. But Ephesians 2 tells us who God is. It tells us his nature. He is rich in mercy. It's who he is. He he has a great love for us. He's life-giving. He's gracious and he's kind. Listen, and if we don't understand this, he showed us all of this in his son Jesus. And what happened on the cross? Jesus died for dead slaves. Jesus died for you this morning. And God showed how rich he was in mercy. He showed us his grace. He showed us his great love by sending himself in the form of his son who died for us on the cross. He took our punishment. Mercy, that's what it means. It means not getting what we truly deserve. We deserve to die on the cross. I deserve to go to the cross and be slaughtered. But God, who was rich in mercy, took my place. And I didn't get what I deserved. That's what mercy is. Well, what is grace? That means getting a gift just given to me. Mercy, not getting what I deserve. Grace, getting something that I don't deserve. A gift. And at God's disposal is an ocean of grace and mercy. He's rich in it. An ocean of grace and mercy. What do I want us to do today and as we leave this place and every day of our life, I want us to go swimming. Jenny and I just took a trip. We've done it every year. It's our fourth year. We go down to Florida. It was cold. And all of you are like, oh, I'm really sorry. It was, you got, it was 58 degrees. It was like t- six degrees here. So here's the deal. I have a rule. When I go to Florida, it's a non-negotiable. I get in the ocean. I'm not going all the way down there and not getting in the ocean. It's what I do, okay? The problem is it was like 58 degrees. So I'm like, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. And Jenny, she's, she's adventurous. If you don't know her, she is just an adventurous. Uh, she, she had us jumping off cliffs into the ocean on our honeymoon. I'm scared to death of heights. It's miserable. I'll tell you that story later. 
But anyway, she's going to go get in the ocean with me this year. And then a buddy of mine that I'm with, Justin, he's like, hey, I'm going with you. So the three of us, we put our swimsuits on, and we head down to the ocean. Sun's not even out. It's cold. We stepped into the water, and it's like, oh! You know what I'm saying? Like, almost gets you to say a bad word, cold. Right? And, I mean, that's just to my ankles. I'm like, no, we came here to do this. So it was like one of those, let's count to three. One, two, three, boom, you go in, right? And you come up out of the water. You're like, ah! Ah, 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 ah. That was literal. That's literally what happened. Okay? <laughs> but it's funny, Jenny, she runs back to the beach. She's done. I look over at Justin. I'm like, that was amazing. We got to go again. He's like, let's do it. So, you know, we did one, two, three, boom. We went a second time. We came up out of the water like, yes. <laughs> Woo! Invigorating. So we get our towels. We did what we came to do. We're walking back to our place, and I'm walking. I'm just thinking. I knew I'm, I'm preaching this sermon. I'm like, we're soaking wet. We have towels around us. And here's a thought I had. The ocean has no less water in it than before we jumped in. You ever think about that? This thing is, the ocean was, that's the grace of God. Do you understand this? That's the grace and mercy of God. He doesn't run out of this. The more you go to him for it, the more he gives. And listen, he never, he has no less to give after you go to him. He's rich in this stuff. For some of you, you have to know this. No sinner has ever come to God for mercy and grace and depleted him of what he has to offer. This is really, really good news. For some of you, today this is an open invitation for you for the first time to experience this mercy, to experience this love and grace and kindness of God. And there can be a great turning in your heart right now, today, immediately. I hope that happens in this place. And like I told you before, guess what? We, we, we got a tub. And I'm here, and you're here. And maybe you passed from death to life just now. Come talk to me after this, and we're going to baptize you like next gathering. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. See, here's what happens, unless this is just me. See, see what happens is you've shocked yourself. Uh, let me change that. I, I've shocked myself in my life with the evil that I'm capable of. Maybe it's just me. I have, I have done wickedly, and, I, and I've stepped back and go, How, wh what? But God poured out his mercy, and he pours out his grace. And he will drench you in the ocean of his mercy and grace, and it will not leave him with any less than what he had to offer before you went to him. The more mercy you need, the more mercy God feels. He loves you. He is kind. He is a giver of good gifts, and grace and mercy are his favorite ones to give. Gifts. Verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is a gift. Let, allow me, please, to bring some gospel clarity if you don't understand the gift that we have in God through his son, Jesus Christ, then you're not going to properly understand all the other gifts that he has given you in your life. 
Say, Brad, what do you mean? What gifts are you talking about? Oh, I don't know. Let's start with today. How about this day? If you understand the gift that you've been given in Jesus Christ, you're going to look at just the day that you woke up and that you took a breath, and you're going to go, that's a gift. Let's keep going. How about your spouse? What a gift. Listen to me. There are people in this church experiencing a spouse that just loses their mind and just runs and leaves them alone. Jenny, has, Jenny I woke up today and Jenny didn't leave me. What a gift. I deserve to be left. Are you with me? Do you look at your spouse as a gift? What about your kids? Kids, listen to me. I know they're in here. Listen, they're, they're grabbing on you, asking for your phone. They're asking for things. They're bothering you. No, 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 listen to me. They're a gift. They're a gift. I'm so glad our kids are in here today. They're gifts. Kids, you better look at your mom and dad. Those are gifts to you. If you don't understand Jesus, you're not going to understand the gift that he gave you in your parents. What about our job? I can keep going. Our friends, our wealth, our education. Listen, if we understand Jesus, we will have gospel clarity on all the other gifts that God has given us. And here's the deal. There is no room for boasting in the lives of the people of God. Paul says we don't boast. What does he mean by that? It's, it's more than simply bragging. Kids, listen to me. When you hear that word boast, it's not, like, it's not just simply like I'm going to go brag about this. It's more than that. What do I mean by that? Think about before battle. In ancient history, in ancient battles, what would happen? One of my favorite movies is uh, Braveheart. And there's a scene where he's on his horse and he's riding in front of his men, right? And he's, he's pumping them up and he's talking to them and he's appealing to their freedom. He is boasting in their freedom. Right? A more biblical example would be when David stood before Goliath. Do you remember the conversation they had back and forth, right? And David's telling Goliath why he's going to win. You remember this? That's what we mean by boasting. David wasn't bragging. When the Bible talks about boasting, here's what the Bible is talking about. Anything that we turn to that would give you identity, confidence, and courage. Are you with me now? All of us want something in our lives to turn to that will give us identity and confidence and courage. The problem is some of us turn to our money. Some of us turn to our education. Some of us turn to our work ethic. Some of us turn to our past accomplishments to get our identity and our confidence and our courage. But here's what the people of God sing. I will not boast in anything. No gifts. No power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection. The people of God have nothing to boast in. Everything we have in this life has been given to us. Do you understand this? I know you worked hard for all your stuff. It was given to you. You were able to get up and go work for that, weren't you? Everything you have in this life has been given to you. Make no mistake about it. That's the posture of a Christ follower. Let me end. I'm going to talk more about verse 10 next week. But he saved us. It wasn't a result of our works. We are his workmanship. There's that construction language. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It, interesting, this passage, this, this passage ends in walk and what we're supposed to walk in. It started with what we used to walk in, right? Dead and trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's what we used to walk in. Now we walk in something else. John Calvin said it is, a faith, it is faith alone which justifies, but faith which justifies is never alone. We got some work to do. We got some good work to do that God prepared beforehand. God has big plans for us. Yes, he has big plans for you individually. I want you to jump into that. But he has big plans for us, his church. He invites us in and asks us to join him in building this magnificent building. He's moving. Listen to me. I just want to end with this. He is moving. and Something's going on here. I'm just telling you, something is going on in this church. I don't even sleep at night hardly. I'm so excited about it. And I don't even know what it is. I just know God's moving on the hearts of his people in this church. And if you don't feel, if you're not sure what that is, I don't, I'm not either, but come talk to me and just jump in. He has something prepared for you. Are you thankful for God, Hill City? Are you thankful for God and what he did? If you're serving communion, I want you to come down. We stand no chance without him. Some of you aren't following him. Some of you are not following Jesus. And we're getting ready to partake in a meal that just reminds all of us who are following Jesus what he did for us to get, show us his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness. And some of you aren't following him. And it's time that you follow him. And I got to be honest with you, some of you are uncomfortable with this. I'm talking, listen, I'm talking to the oldest person in here and I'm talking to fourth and fifth graders in here too. Like you're this close to middle school? Listen to me. It's listen, it's time that you follow Jesus. We'll have stations on each side, two in the middle. You'll come down. You will grab the bread. It will be torn for you. That's the body of our king that was torn on our behalf. You'll dip it in a cup. That represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. Is it great to not be a dead slave anymore? Is it great to be alive? Is it great to be free? Stand with me and let's come to the table as living, free people.